And so we've talked about this concept of what renewing the mind is. It's literally changing how you think. Your mind thinks in patterns of thought. Now, not all patterns are logical, but they're still patterns. And the reason it's important to realize you think in patterns because the, the process of ruining your, renew, ruining, the process of renewing your mind is, is not changing the patterns, it's changing the thoughts. So we've taught you this principle that, that, that your mind works in, in, in images. And an image that's existed for very long is a stronghold. And we've been looking in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which talks about strongholds that have been raised up against the knowledge of God. And there are strongholds that have been built into our mind, and I've used the example, it's like a TV, it's like a, either a TVs are not like this anymore, but uh, the older TVs and, and older computer screens, uh, they're made up of a series of dots. In fact, they still are. In fact, I've discovered that the numbers that come with them, like the 1020 or the 780, it'll see IP or something like that. It's, it's DPI, dots per inch. It's dots. So the pictures on your TV screen are nothing more than a series of dots that are illuminated with different colors and different intensities. And I've told you that the easier way to look at that is to take a picture in a newspaper and take a magnifying glass, and if you look at it, you'll see it's nothing more than a series of dots. And if you arrange those dots in a particular pattern, it creates a picture. And that's what happens in your mind. The images in your mind are nothing more than a series of dots that are arranged together because your mind is a computer that will try to make meaning out of those dots. Whether, they're lo- whether they have meaning or not, our minds will try to make meaning out of it. And I want you to understand this process because that's how your mind has been working. And we're going to learn how to take, th- th- take techniques that the Bible teaches us and use your understanding of your mind to reprogram it. But you've got to know what the goal is. The goal is to change those images. And, and to, really is to change the strong. A stronghold is an image that's burned into your mind. So it's there that no matter what happens, that's what you're going to react to, whether it's really there or not. And I've used the example of a, of a, of a dream. You have a vivid dream and you wake up from that dream and, that, and your, your, your body's reacting, whether it's you're falling down a cliff or so, over a cliff or something like that, and you wake up and your, your heart's pounding and you're sweating and, you're, you know, you're, 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 and yet you've been lying in bed because that image is so strong and so powerful, it's real to you, even though it doesn't exist any place other than your mind. And I suggest to you that tonight there are many things that are affecting you that don't really exist anywhere else any longer than in your mind. There's some of you that in your childhood growing up you were told things, you experienced things. All of those were a series of dots that got into your brain. And your brain arranged them, maybe with some help from some people, into pictures and images, maybe of you, maybe of God, maybe of what other people are like, maybe whether you could trust people. All those are images that got built into your mind. And over the years, they became strongholds and they're governing and controlling you now. Even those people in those words have long gone. Because there are strongholds. That, but, and, but it's important to understand the only place they exist any longer is in here. Because if they accurately represented the reality, you'd have to change the reality. But all you've got to do is change this picture and the reality will change to you. So that's the hope we have. That's the confidence we have. And the Bible talks about it. I just want to give you a couple examples. When I was praying this morning, came to me. And of, of an example of, of how... We have to change the way we think, the way the world thinks and then the way God thinks. And we're learning to think the way God thinks, not the way we were programmed to think. Here's an example. The world system tells you that you need to hold on to what you have or else you'll lose it. So you better hold on to it as tight as you can. And Sunday we talked along those lines when it came to your life. But the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God works on, if you want to hold on to what you have, give it away. The kingdom of God works on principles in most cases that are just the opposite of the kingdom of the principles of the kingdom of this world. And so, but you have to change your mind because that's not the way our minds were trained to thought, think. So when a crisis comes, our first reaction is, at least mine, is to hold on to what I got and figure out how to cut back and, and to preserve what we've got. And there's, we need to use wisdom. We need to use good stewardship. But, that's, but when it's fear-based, it's not God. Second principle and I'm just throwing these out. In the world system tells you that you better protect yourself because nobody else will. You better, you better basically hold on to yourself. You better look out for numero uno. 
do unto others before they do it unto you. That kind of principle. But the Bible teaches us, God's system is that you've got to die to yourself in order to live. That if you want to hold on to your life, you've got to give it up. If you keep your life, you'll lose it. We talked about that on Sunday. Another one, the world, these are very relate, related to each other. The world system tells you that if your enemy does something to you, get back at him because it's only right. There ought to be justice. So if they've done something to you, then you need to have retribution, get back to them. But, but the, the God thinks in different terms. He says if somebody persecutes you, if they intentionally persecute you, then the way his world operates is you bless them. Now, that's the opposite of the way we were trained to think. So we have to reprogram our brain to think along God's line. Okay, that was just kind of free. We threw that out there. And uh, so I want to move along. Now, so we're talking about this process, which is going to be to learn how to put in the right dots, dots that are designed to form an image. Understand this, and we're going to get a little more on this in a minute. Every thought you have is a dot, potential dot in some picture. Every thought. So you have to learn to take every thought captive. We're going to go back into 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, turn with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll start reading verse 3. For we, Though we walk in the flesh, that means conduct our life in this flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for weapons against these strongholds that are mighty in God, not mighty in ourselves. We've all tried that. But they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, that's going to become very good news to us because it may have taken you 30 years to get where you are, but it's not going to take 30 years to undo it. Why? Because the weapons God's given us are mighty in Him for exactly this purpose. We just have to learn how to use them. Okay. Now, here's the process. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down, King James says, imaginations. New King James says, arguments. What we said, what that is, is that those are patterns of reasonings, patterns of thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Anything that exalts itself, anything that fights against the knowledge of God or God's knowledge, what he wants you to know about you. So it casts down arguments or or, or thought processes, or imaginations. Bringing every thought, and this is the key, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now that will make more sense to you when you understand that John chapter 1 tells us who he is. It says, in the beginning was the Word. So Christ and the Word are the same. So another way of looking at that is bringing every thought into captivity, into obedience to the Word. Measuring our thoughts against God's thoughts, which are contained in here, in this book that He's given to us. But notice it's taking every thought captive. Now to some of you that sounds overwhelming or impossible. Now, we talked a number of weeks ago when we went through some of these key, foundational keys, so that you'd be able to be better armed to do what I'm going to teach you to do. When we went through some of those keys, one of those keys was you have to learn to take control of your mind. And for some of you, that was a radical thought because you didn't think you could. I started with the proposition that you're not your mind. You can't control your mind if you don't realize your mind's just a part of you. It's not you. Your mind is just a part of you that's given to you to serve you. Just like your stomach is given to you to serve you, not you to serve your stomach. Your body's given to you to serve you, not you to serve your body. It's your vehicle that you get around in. Just as your car serves you by getting from home to church and to home to work, it just serves you. And it's good, to, it's nice to have a nice, it's a nice car that serves you, but that's just your servant. That's all it is. should take care of it, 
But your body's the same thing. It's a vehicle that the real you gets around in on this earth. You have to have a body to get around in this earth. That's why when Jesus was going to cast the demons out of those out of those, that man, that legion of demons, they pled with him, please don't let us just go off into the waterless places. It says, oh, there's some pigs. They had to have a body, some kind of body, to inhabit in order to have a voice and be effective. And so, so we need a body. We need something living. But it just serves you. So you've got to take, learn to take care. But that's all it is. And you know what? They're going to come and try and you trade it in for a much better model. Model doesn't rust, doesn't decay, doesn't need oiling, doesn't need rest. They're all pretty <laughs> or handsome, shiny, glowing. But you've got to trade this one in to get it. All right. Praise God. Taking every thought captive. And I taught you, told the story about our dog Mandy, about you have to get control of your thoughts. I told you about the frogs my brother ordered. You know, that, that you, the key is understanding. If you don't believe you can control your thoughts, then you won't get anywhere with this. So that's the place to start. To recognize the battle begins and really ends with taking every thought captive. So if God says to do it, that means we can do it. Yeah. Taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. Now, first of all, I want you to understand this. Um, that it's not enough to keep out disobedient thoughts. Remember, God works on principles that are positive, not on principles that are negative. So God's not saying, look, I need to take something away from you. He'll say, give so that you, I can give to you. The kingdom of God is positive because God's positive. And I don't mean positive-minded. That's so small compared to what positive really means. God multiplies. He adds. God, God wants to bless you, not take away from you. All right. Three of you got that. That's good. All right. It's not enough to keep out disobedient thoughts. We have to put in the right thoughts in order to create the right image. Remember I taught you before. The way you, take, the way you change the strongholds is you don't start tearing down the old strongholds. Remember one of the principles I taught you is the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So if you're thinking about how to tear that bad imagination down, guess what? You're paying attention to it. Instead of tearing it down, you're actually building it up. The way you put out a fire, one of the ways is you take the fuel away. The Bible teaches that principle when it comes to human fuel, human fires called strife. One of the, the best way to end strife is don't answer them. Just smile. It's hard to argue back with somebody just smiling back at you. They may get mad at you for smiling at them, but the argument's only on their side. They just have an argument with themselves. You just smile back at them. You know, you're not obligated to answer everybody that talks to you. We may take a little side journey here. You're not obligated to answer every phone call. I sit in my office when I was practicing law. I work with a partner, and every time I'd be in the middle of an important conversation with him, I'd waited all day to talk to him. The phone ring, he'd just pick it up. It could have been a wrong number. This is before we had the caller ID and all that stuff. And he'd just pick it up. And next thing you know, he's off talking on some other subject. And it dawned on me, wait a minute. I don't have to answer that. There, you're not compelled. There's not a law that I know of. Is there one now, Richard? No. There's not, that. there's not a law that I know of that says thou must, there's not one in the Bible, thou must answer the phone. Even a cell phone. There's not even a law. I've got to be careful. My wife will look at me on this one. There's not even a law that says thou must have a cell phone. They're convenient for us. I'm, I'm now preaching to me. They're convenient for us, but we, they, we must see them as a tool, not as an extension of our body. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> I love gadgets. I just, you know, I'm, I'm male. I guess that's what it is. It goes with being male. All right. Where were we before we so rudely interrupted here? We have to put in right thoughts. And so that's our goal. Not to tear down. What will happen is they'll fade away. If you don't keep feeding them, they'll eventually 
fade away and the new ones, the new strongholds we're going to establish will begin to take over and dominate your, your, your mental processes. Okay, all right. Now, Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in thy heart that I might not sin against thee. In other words, I've put my word, your word, in my heart to control whether I sin or not. Uh, Proverbs 2. Took, t- turn there with me. We're sneaking up on the answer here. But this will help you. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom. Now, incline your ear must be something you do. That means leaning towards something. Incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as you would silver and search for her as you would a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, His word, and come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and He is a shield to those who walk upright. But from His mouth come knowledge and understanding, from His word. But we have to incline our ear to it. Philippians 4, turn there quickly. We'll start in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. That's a challenge for some of us. Notice it's be anxious for nothing. Nothing means no thing. Nothing means nothing. How can I do that? But in every... See, this is what we try to do sometimes, is we try to not fear. I know I'm not supposed to fear. I know I'm not supposed to fear. So I'm just going to try harder not to fear. Guess what you're thinking about while you're trying harder not to fear? Fear. And guess what's happening? Fear is getting bigger in your mind. The harder you try... See, that's the principle of the law. It says in the Bible that the, the power of the law, the power of sin was the law. It's when you're told you can't do something, guess what? You've got to do it. That was the fun and the fast, isn't it? When you're told you can't eat, you get it. I was suffering a day before the fast. I woke up in the night and my flesh was all reacting as if I was already a day into it. And my mind said, Wait a minute, this tells you me where it's coming from. My, fat, my flesh is already grieving over something it hasn't started to go through yet. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing, but here's the principle. Replace it with something. Instead of thinking about what you're afraid of, here's what God tells you to do. He doesn't just say don't fear here. He tells you what to do in its place. But in everything, and the way I read that is in everything that I'd be afraid of. In everything that you'd be afraid of, instead of being afraid, by prayer and supplication, that's just a $3 word that means asking. By prayer and asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I think some people think of this. Well, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to get on that airplane tomorrow, or whatever it is. I'm afraid to do this. So I'm going to pray... And I'm going to make my request made known to God. Okay, God, I'm afraid to get on the airplane. Father, I'm asking you for world peace. Father, bless the starving children in China. No, no, no. He's talking about the request you made known is what you're afraid of. So instead of being afraid of, some, afraid of it, ask God to deliver you in that situation. Ask God to keep you safe. Whatever it is, ask God about the situation that you're afraid of. They're connected together. So instead of fear, replace it by talking to God about it and asking Him to do something. Now, there's a condition that always goes with asking. Almost every place it appears in the Bible. Here it's implied. You must ask in faith, nothing doubting. So you've got to believe God's going to answer your prayer. Well, the way you can believe it is by getting into this Word and find out the hundreds of promises that God's made to answer your prayer. Excuse me. Verse 7 says, now, here's the result of it. And the peace of God, which goes around your brain. 
That's what it says, surpasses understanding. The peace of God that, sur- that passes by, bypasses your brain. So the problem we're learning is in our brain. So God, God's peace will overtake the fear in your brain. But it's not going to come from your brain. It's come from your inner man down here. For the, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God will guard your mind. Finally, brethren, here we go. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Now, let's just get something straight here. If you're preparing dinner and you're going through a recipe, it's okay to think of what the recipe says while you're preparing the recipe. We're not talking about when your mind's having to be applied to certain tasks. We're talking about all the rest of that time when we just let it wander. Because it's always active. It's always active. Even when you're asleep, it's active. Your mind is always thinking something. And your job and my job is to choose to take that idle time and that's the time to put in what you want to program it with. And here he's telling you the filter to use of what to decide you can put in there. So the thing to ask yourself is, okay, is this thing true, first of all? Well, I don't know. Is it true? Then don't think about it. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? A lot of times we hear things that are not a good report. Now, see, if you get a bad report from a doctor, that doesn't mean when he's telling you, you go like this. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Pastor John says, I'm not supposed to hear this. No, that's denying something. We're talking about having heard it. Now, what do you do with it? Do you keep running over it and running over it and running over it? What does this mean? See, now you're connecting dots. You're beginning to form a picture. We've talked about that before. So you've got a dot that's an evil report. Now you need to connect to that dot other dots that you put in that are of this standard that he puts in there. Okay, that's what the doctor says. But the Bible gives me some good reports that apply to this. My God will supply all my needs if it's a a financial report. If it's a medical report, the Bible says things that are a good report. Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases and by His stripes I'm healed. Jesus redeemed me from the curse of the law. Sickness and diseases under the curse of the law. So He's redeeming. See, that's putting in good reports to begin to build an image to counteract the evil report. I'm not denying it. I'm not denying that it's true, but there's a higher truth. I'll give an example of that. Ready for this? I'm going to demonstrate a truth. It's called gravity. Okay? Gravity will cause, I don't want to get into Einstein's theory, but gravity will cause a, an object, if it's not supported, to fall to the ground. Now, that's a relatively light object. And yet I live, we, we live in one of the landing paths and takeoff paths for Green Airport. And I can assure you every day there's objects much heavier than that that actually go up in the air instead of falling. Why? Because there's another law that supersedes or is higher than the law of gravity. And that's this correct link. That's the law of lift. Is that right, Link? I got it. Okay, it's the law of lift, which that law supersedes or overrides the law of gravity. So just because there's a principle that's true that's in, in, in life doesn't mean that God doesn't have a principle higher than that that will override that. So it's not that we're denying gravity when an airplane takes off. We're applying a truth that will allow you to rise above the force of gravity. I want to get my pen. But, okay, thank you, Joe. I trust this. I trust you. No, it's not. That's why I wouldn't drop that one. <laughs> All right. 
So the principle here is, is to, when, when negative things are happening, we're to take an active role and put in positive things. And it's, again, again, we're not talking about the power of positive thinking. What that is, is some people that have taken a Bible principle and used it apart from God. And it'll work to a degree. But the power in what we're going to learn is we're taking God's Word and applying them to those situations. All right. Okay. I don't have to turn there, but Romans 8, verses 5 and 6 tells us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, and there are others that do that. Now, again, we're still preparing away here, because we're talking about thoughts, and we're talking about we've got to take every thought captive. But in order to take it captive, you've got to learn to discern, you've got to learn to discern what the purpose of that thought is. I started tonight by telling you, every thought is intended to contribute or add to a good image or a bad image. Every dot in a picture, every dot that goes into a picture is, is either can make a good picture or a bad picture. And I told you the story that, that you are responsible. I, I told you another principle. I'm remembering all kinds of things I told you tonight. Um, you cannot control the thoughts that come to your brain, that come in there. Therefore, you're not responsible for them any more than are you responsible for whoever rings your doorbell. However, you become responsible when you allow the thought to dwell there. And it's important to understand this because one of Satan's weapons is, I think we talked about this before, one of Satan's weapons is he will give you an evil thought and then the next thought is what kind of terrible Christian are you for having thoughts like that? Because what he's really after is to undermine your confidence to stand against the thoughts by condemning you and getting you, if you don't understand this scheme of his, to just kind of sit down and say, well, here I go again. I've failed again, God. I'm just a rotten Christian. I'm never going to make it. And what you do is you just open the door wide. In fact, what you've done is instead of opening the front door, you've now gone her back and you've opened the delivery door and you're allowing him to bring his semi back up and to pour into your mind all the thoughts he now wants to pour in there. The Bible says not to be ignorant of his devices. That's one of his devices. So you can't control what thoughts come to you, but you can, and therefore you're not responsible for them, but you can control completely what you do with them. And that you are responsible for. And I told you the story of the, of the doorbell ringing and you open the door and there's a guy in a brown suit with a little emblem up on his hat and a brown package to hand you. That package is not yours until you've taken it into your house and you've signed for it. You have the absolute right to say, I don't want that package, take it back. And I've checked it, they have to take it back. They're not going to just leave it there, they've got to take it back. But here's what we do. Doorbell rings, we open the door, he says, oh, there's a package for us, oh, thank you, and we sign for it, and then we close the door, we let him go, he's long gone. Now we go in and, and we just say, well, I wonder who sent me something, and now, sometimes we just unwrap it, I told you the story, my brother unwrapped the package with the frogs in it, and they were all over the house, and that's what it's like when you don't know what's in the package, and you just open it. So the smart thing to do is what? Look at the return address. Because that tells you who the sender was. And that tells me most likely what's in the package and whether I want that package in my house or not. But the time to find out who said it is before you've signed for it. Because once you find out, once you've signed for it, it doesn't matter who sent it, it's yours. And we've gotten things, and now we suddenly realize, not only isn't it, isn't, don't we know where it came from, it wasn't even ours. Now I've got to find out who this person is and se- take it to the post office and tell them, send it to the right person. I've got to do something now because I received it. But if I don't receive it, it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. And we've got to learn to do that with our thoughts. And I'm going to teach you a technique for learning how to catch your thoughts in the beginning. 
All right. Okay. So discerning where your thoughts come from. And I've told you before, they generally come from one of three places. God, Satan, and of course it's not Satan because there's only one Satan. By the way, I hope you believe in him because Jesus does. So if, God, if he says he's real, then he must be real. See, another one of his devices, he wants us to either think he's not real or we laugh at him. So we dress up like him on, that, on Halloween and, you know, we, they have pictures and cartoons about him so we just laugh at him so we just, nobody takes him seriously. But he's very real. Jesus took him seriously. He tempted him. But there's only one Satan and he's not like the Holy Spirit. He can't be in more than one place at a time. So he's going to be in the most critical place for his program and most likely that's not you or me. We're not going to rise to the level of that much of a threat to him, I don't believe, that he has his, he's assigned himself to us. But he's assigned other minions to us. talks about principalities and powers and, 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 and other. These are different levels of spiritual forces. So, but, so, but they work for him. So when we say Satan, we're talking about his, his cohorts that work for him. Okay. All right. People don't talk about him much in church anymore. So it's, just not in, it's not in fashion anymore. He's still real. Okay. Or they come from you. You can create your own thoughts. All right. By the way, you know, other people can't create thoughts for you. They can suggest them. But it's what you think about what they said that matters. Of course, you understand, a little side trip here again. It's not what happens to you that matters. It's what you think about what happens to you that matters. Otherwise, everybody would react the same way to the same event. But if I said the word fire in here, I would get different reactions from you, depending on what you thought of what I said. Some might think I was joking. Some might think I was, tell- I was serious. Some might have had some bad experiences with fires before, and just the w- mention of the word itself would, would trigger panic. Different reactions to the same word from one person. Why? Because of what you thought about what I said that causes you to react. It's not what I said. That means nobody can make you feel the way they want you to. They can give you the opportunity to feel a certain way. But nobody can make you feel. Let's get another sacred cow. You don't have buttons people can push. There's only one button you had. God gave it to you. And you don't need to use it anymore. It's right in your middle. The other buttons don't exist. That's, what that's saying is, I'm not responsible for how I react. You made me react that way. I mean, after all, I'm Portuguese, I'm Italian, that's what we're like, you know. Those are excuses for not doing what we're supposed to do. Praise God, hallelujah, I love this. But we're talking about being free. You've got to make a choice. Because you can't have it both ways. You either, either you want to be free and enjoy all that God has for you, or you want to feel sorry for yourself, which is a poor substitute for being free. Feeling sorry for yourself is an excuse for staying where you are. It's saying, I, I, I don't have any control over the situation. I mean, Pastor, you don't understand how I was raised. You don't understand what I went through. Years ago, I heard a testimony of a, a man we know who's in ministry, and, and, um, and there was a young girl that he, t- he and his family took into his house. And, and the, the, I mean, the story just shocked me. And, and I'm not going to go through all the details, but she was a little girl during the Vietnam War. And, and the, the Viet Cong came into her village, and they pulled everybody out of their, out of their houses or huts and lined them all up, and just with flamethrowers, torched everybody in front of her, including her whole family. Somehow they missed her. She's like five years old. Now, I went through some things in my childhood that I have had to learn to overcome. But it can't begin to compare with seeing as a five-year-old 
in one, you know, within a matter of 10 minutes, going from a peaceful family situation to everything in your life destroyed in front of you, and you're just left there. Somehow some soldiers found her. They, they, they took her in. They brought her to the United States. Um, she, she, the, make a long story short, um, she was brought into this family. They took care of her, loved her. And she, at the time, she got saved. She became, at the time, I remember the story, and it's been a long time since I've heard the story. She ended up becoming a medical doctor. Um, she was a very healthy, she had a healthy relationship. She got married, had a healthy relationship with her husband. In other words, she overcame those things. Yes, it was traumatic. Yes, there's things you've been through. Yes, there's things we've been through that affect us. And they're real. And we have to, do, but the, and they need to be overcome. But you can't overcome them if you use them as an excuse by saying you don't know what was done to me. Let's do it this way. What if Jesus looked at us and say, "But you don't know what was done to me." says in Hebrews 12, for the, for, the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It says earlier in Hebrews, one of the reasons he went through all that is so that he could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Touched by him. So he's touched by what you go through. He's touched by what I go through. But he's not touched by it so he can wallow in it with us. He's touched by it so he can be identified with us, so he can bring us out of it. But we have to choose. It's an act of our will whether we're going to take freedom or pity. You can't have both. I'm not saying you can't go through the emotion of things. I'm not saying that. They're real to not go through. The, the emotions are part of a way of cleansing it out. Just like mourning is part of a way of cleansing yourself out. But if you stay in it you, because you, it's appealing to our flesh. For two reasons. It gets attention. Poor you. Oh, you poor thing, what you must have gone through. Let's be honest. That feels good to our flesh. Oh, do that. Pat me back here, too. It feels good to our flesh. It pats our flesh. But the other thing, it becomes an excuse to not face things we need to face. But see, I woke up one day, because I was doing that with some of the things I'd gone through, and I woke up one day and realized... But the Bible says, if God lives in me, if Christ lives in me, I can do all things through Christ. My hope is in Him, not in me. And that's what really inspired me to begin to renew my mind to some things. All right. So every thought has a purpose, is to form an image or to replace another. Okay. All right, let's move on here. Okay, so part of now, if we're going to learn to identify our thoughts... It's going to be very important to learn how to identify where those thoughts come from. It's not like a package that arrives at your door where you can just look and see who the sender was. Because in this case, it can have multiple names that can be deceptive. So we're going to teach you some techniques that I've learned and the Bible teaches about how to discern where thoughts come from. Okay. First thing, first standard is judge the thought by the Word of God. And here's the principle. God will never give you a thought that's, cons- that's not consistent with His Word. <laughs> this is an extreme example, but I, I heard the story. I wasn't there. But it was the bro- maybe Brother Hagen that shared the story about, about uh, how prophecy can get very strange. And one of the things we're supposed to do is measure prophecy or any of the gifts that appear by the word of God. And there was some people prophesying. And this woman gets up and says, says, you know, Oh, thus says the Lord, I know, my children, you're going through a rough time. I go through rough times too. And I know what it feels like. Wow. Well, that can't be God. Because <laughs> it doesn't measure up with his word. And what does his word say? James 1.17, In whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Malachi says, I am the Lord, I change not. So 2 Corinthians 10 tells us to take every thought captive to the Christ. So the first thing to do is measure it against God's Word. Now, here's a, here's a, here's a problem with that. You've got to know what the Word says. See, there, there's nothing about this 
that's a quick fix. There's nothing about this that doesn't involve that dirty word we don't like to say in church that begins with a W. Work. It, work, it is work. But, but so struggling. Struggling's work. Suffering's work. I mean, emotional suffering. Being in fear. Fear is work. It wears your body down. It wears your... It's work. You see, that's one of the lies of the enemy. Yeah, but you understand to do this is going to require work and effort. Yeah, because he wants you to just lapse into what he's doing because that's wearing you out. Okay. So the first thing is to judge it by the... So you've got to... It's incumbent on you to find out what this word says. Second thing, judge it by its fruit. Now, this is related to the first principle. What, what is the fruit of it? If, I, if, I, if this thought gets into my mind, what's this likely to produce in me? What kind of picture is this likely to add to? Here's some examples to, to, to measure things against. John 10.10. 10. This is a very key way to measure things. Jesus said, so we know it's true, right? The thief comes. That gives you some clue. The thief comes. Key word here. Only. Only means no other purpose, no other motive. So when your package has as often on its address, pit of hell, zip code, 66666. You don't need to figure a whole lot more out. You don't need to take it out, send it to a lab to have it analyzed. Because you know whatever comes from that address only has one of three purposes. Only. He's not trying to help you out. He's not trying to... He may be comforting you, but if He's comforting you, it's not to make you feel better. It's to lull you in. Remember the Bible says He's a deceiver. And I've told you over and over again what a deceiver is. He sees someone that tells you he's after one thing when he's really after someone at something else. So I've learned if I'm in a crowd where there may be pickpockets, they're con otters, they're deceivers, that I don't worry about somebody bumping my arm here or my arm here. I know that the only thing they could be after of value is back here. So I, I've got my fingers on my wallet because I know that's what they're really after. If that thing starts slipping, then I stop and turn around. And you've got to learn to do that with the thoughts that you have. Because he's subtle. Because he doesn't have any power. He has to be. He'll, he'll lull you into thinking about one subject when he's really after another. So don't try to outsmart him. Don't try to outthink him. Just make sure if you know it's him, all you need to know is he only comes with one of three motives. Steal, kill, or destroy. So all you've got to decide is do I want to be stolen from? Do I want to be killed? Or do I want to be destroyed? If I don't want to do any of those three things, then I don't want the thought. Because that's its purpose. As innocent and as attractive as it may look, if it's come from that address, it only has one purpose. But Jesus goes on to say, but I've come. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So one of the questions to ask yourself is, does this thought likely to produce images that will somehow steal from me Kill me or destroy me. Now, not kill me physically. Kill me spiritually. Kill me emotionally. Kill my incentive to fight. Like the thought I showed you a few minutes ago. Like, what kind of Christian are you for having those thoughts? Here's another little technique. God will say things to you to correct you because He's a loving Father. But what he will correct is your behavior. What he will correct is your attitude. But he will never say anything negative about you as a person. Why? 
Because you've been remade in His image. When Satan comes to you, he's always attacking your character and your nature. And the thoughts will have little keywords like, oh, you did it again. See, my Bible tells me that when I've, God, when I've messed up and I go to God and I ask Him to forgive me, that He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. So if He's thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness, He won't remember I did it before, so He won't be saying you did it again because He doesn't remember the last time I did it. But Satan wants to pile your mistakes up, pile your sins up, so you're weighed down by them. Because he's not trying to correct you to get you straight. He's trying to undermine your confidence in God so that your walls of determination will come down. That's what he's really after. Okay. So God will correct you, but he will correct your attitude, your behavior. And when he does it, you'll always feel lifted up. Now, it may hurt. But because when he corrects you, what he's communicating to you is he believes in you that you can do better. So the underlying message is, look, you need to act like who you really are because I know you're better than that. See, that's what a loving father communicates to his son. He says, look, you know, I love you, but you didn't measure up to what I know you can do. See, I believe in you, you're just not doing what I know you can do. See, that's telling a child to come up to a level I'm already seeing you at. But Satan wants to tell you, look, you're trying to do things you're not capable of because you're just a piece of trash. You'll never amount to anything. Why do you think you could be a good Christian? But he, some of you, you're smart enough to know he can't, come, he can't come at you that way. So he's got to be more subtle with his words, thoughts, his thoughts to you. Okay. Another technique is just to listen to the thought let me, go, another, let me skip ahead. One of them is to know where they're coming from. In you. Are they coming from your mind? Or is it coming up out of here? See, God speaks through your spirit. God speaks through your spirit, and then your mind gains understanding of what you saw in your spirit. But I, I've had to go through this sometimes because I'll be talking to people. and this, I don't know if it was God or not, but I've listened to what they've said. And what I've heard is, in, when they're words, they've put a series of thoughts together. Well, well, I thought that, that always tells me it's not God. Because God doesn't communicate to us. Now, we think about what He says. Okay? But, but when, you've, when you can go back and retrace the reasonings of how you got there, that's not God. That's reasonings. God just tells you something. And He very rarely tells you why. Because He wants you to trust Him. So if you can back and figure out why you came to that conclusion... That's most likely not God. Now, it may be a good conclusion because it may have been you. But it's, God doesn't speak to you by saying, look, A plus B equals C. He just says, do C. He doesn't want you to rely on your reasonings. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Okay. All right. So that's one technique. That's another technique that you can trace your thoughts. Um, your words will give you clues. Uh, another is to learn to judge. Um, excuse me, I'm jumping all over the place. And I'll go back over some of this next week. We're talking still about the fruit, judge the fruit. The Bible tells us in, Hebrew, in, in, uh, in Romans 10:17 that faith comes by hearing. So if God's speaking to you, it will create faith. If the enemy is speaking to you, it most likely will create fear. So one of the fruits to look at is what is this creating in me? Faith or fear? I remember when I, God spoke to us to, to, to move to Oklahoma and go to Bible school. Most of you know that I was practicing law in a very large, well-known law firm in Boston. And I was working under a partner who was very close to me. We were, he was like, I was like a son to him. And he'd mentored me in many ways. And, and um, I'm going to end in a second. And he, um, 
Um, I remember going into his office one day and sitting down. I mean, he knew I was a Christian. He knew was, you know, uh, and I said, um, uh, he knew I was interested in things of God. I did a Bible study there and some other things. And I said, I, I just I want to explain to you that I'm, I'm going to have to resign my practice here because we're, we're going to move to out to Oklahoma and, and, and just... And, and for a number of days after that, he'd call me back in the office and, and he'd go over, well, well, have you taken care of this? And have you thought about this? And, have, and what about this? And his mind, he couldn't sleep at night. I'm sleeping, but he can't sleep. And I'm getting concerned for him. And he's getting really worried. And he's, afraid, he's panicked for me. And I went to God. I said, you know, how can I help him? What's wrong? He says, well, here's the matter. And this, this had to apply to some of our family members too. He says, you understand that when I spoke to you to go to Bible school, when I spoke to you, it created faith in you because you heard me speak to you. I didn't speak to him. You told him what I told you. And he doesn't even know me. So he has the same information I gave to you, but I didn't speak it to him. So because I didn't speak it to him, it didn't create faith in him. So he's looking at what I told you to do through his natural understanding. And of course it creates fear because you don't have answers for what kind of job you're going to get. How are you going to feed your family? Why would you give up this prosperous practice? Why this? How this? How? Because you've heard my voice. That's created all the answers you need. So one of the ways to measure is it is this producing faith in me. Another one is it does it draw you closer to God? Or is it causing you to pull away from him? Those are all, and I'll quickly go back over these next week because we have to end. Those are examples, and you can come up with your own, uh, from the, of fruit of the thought. What's it likely to produce in me? And you've had enough experience with enough thoughts that you've got a pretty good idea what it's going to produce in you. You begin to put these, these factors together, and you'll get a pretty clear picture of where that thought comes. But you've got to take it captive first long enough to go through this thought process before you let it in your house and you sign for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you give us clear instruction, clear information on how we can live victorious in this life, how we can walk in all that you have provided for us through Christ Jesus. Father, we ask you to help us to take the things that we've heard now and begin to apply them in our life in the week that we have lying in front of us. And we thank you for the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.